Good morning. Some of you, I say bonjour. Some of you, I say guten Morgen. Uh, guten Morgen, or Ohio gesimus. That's about it as far as languages. But we're really glad you're here this morning. And especially those folks who are visiting today. You've come, someone has invited you, and you're not exactly sure what to expect, but I commend your courage. Anytime you, we try something new, it's challenging, especially going into a church church building because it can be a little bit unusual and a little bit different but we hope you feel welcome here and most of all what we would love and what we pray for is that you could experience the love of Jesus that we've been singing about and talking about and reading that's a that's something that happens in here uh, theoretically we can talk about it but i've realized much to my dismay and probably for the best in the long run, I cannot talk someone into experiencing God's love. I can tell stories. I can kind of woo them. I can't manipulate them. I don't go there. But I can just try to explain it and model it. But ultimately, it's God making a connection through his spirit with a human spirit. And then, ping, the light goes on. And that's a beautiful thing. So we're praying Actually, let's do it all together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would light us up inside, that we could experience the love of Jesus today, whether it's through uh, the reading of the Bible or what we're singing, what we're experiencing together, conversations with people, the food we're going to share, even this message However you do it, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do this and that you would have the freedom to move among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Occasionally, I get, um, I wouldn't say exactly challenged, but just clarified for, what are you putting up on the church sign now? I I told you a little bit about that with the, the the reporter earlier this week who said, What's with the pray for U.S. election? Ha, ha, ha. And they thought it was mocking the candidates, which I was not doing at all. And I learned the hard way, and I should have known this, that reporters are just in the business of getting headlines, right? And it's not a really attention-grabbing headline, church prays for neighbors. That's not going to sell papers. But anyway, we don't, we'll leave that alone. Now, Now, this morning, someone else said, Rick, Why did you put this on the church sign where everybody knows your name? I come to this church and I hardly know anybody's name. That is an excellent point. And I said, wait for the message. Then you'll understand. We've been talking about now that I've got your attention. Just stay tuned and I'll I'll come back to this. And if I start wandering, remind me and I'll answer this question, okay? This fall, we've been um, rethinking church. Why exactly do we do what we do here on Sundays and through the week? What is church exactly? And uh, remember, I went through Webster's Dictionary, the three classic definitions of the church. The first one was a building used for Christian services. That's typically what we think of. We are in a church building. So where is your church building? Here, 546 Portage Avenue, R3C, I can't remember the postcode, but anyway, you look it up if you really care, okay? 
Another definition of church, religious services held in a church. What did you do this weekend? I went to church. Church. I was here in church, religious services, right? Or it's often used to identify a particular Christian group. And these, these are a variety of the logos that you'll find for different um, groups. Well, these are all, I think, Protestants anyway. Uh, groups in Canada, different uh, associations, tribes. That's what I like to call them. They're, they're just groups, the families of churches, right? But according to the Bible, church means literally called out ones, ecclesia, called out where God has called us out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, into his family. So what we have here is a collection of called out people. Now, when we call out people these days, it's not always a positive thing. When someone gets called out or confronted or something, it's not exactly what I'm talking about. But it's God calling us out of the way we used to live, self-absorbed, self-protecting, self-self-self-centered lives. He's called us out of that darkness. And if you don't know darkness, then just live a self-centered life and it will get darker and darker and darker and darker until you almost won't be able to get out of it by yourself. You'll need someone to intervene. You will need a spiritual intervention for someone to rescue you. That's why Jesus came, that guy over there in the window. That's why he came, to rescue us from our self-centered, self-absorbed life and to set us free and to call us out of the darkness. And the Bible says, into his glorious light. All right? So we're called out people. So the church is us. Now I know that you know, that I know that you know, that we all know, we know this. Right? The church is You're really close. The church is, okay, that doesn't stand for U.S. this time. Okay, it's it's us, all right? I had a lovely Scottish lady that was in one of our churches one time, and she had this lovely, thick accent, and she would say the church is us. Somehow, it was just the way she taught. I just just loved loved to hear her say the word us because it, She was such a warm, all-embracing, beautiful person. The church is us. Okay. So we've got that sorted out. Brilliant. And when the first church got started, when God was working on things and gathering people together and calling them them out, this is what they looked like. And, And if you're not familiar with this passage, then you haven't been paying attention for the past eight weeks or so. And you're saying, Rick, are we going back to this again? Yes, and there's fresh truth we're going to pull out of here that's very practical. So, pay close attention, okay? At least for this Sunday. No, I know you always do. Pay attention. So this is what happened. When the church got started, this group of of very devout, God-fearing Jews made a pilgrimage from all over the known world to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And in the meantime, God had 120 disciples of Jesus praying up a storm, praying, 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 waiting for who? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus. Now, Jesus had been with his disciples all the time. 
They lived with him, slept with him. They just hung out with him all the time, 24-7 for three years. All of a sudden, he was leaving. People were freaking out. What are we going to do? Jesus said, don't freak out. Wait here and pray because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comforter, guide, teacher. He will lead you into the truth. Just wait. And by the way, when he comes, you're going to be filled with power. You're going to be my witnesses here in the local place you live and in the surrounding area and on the other side of the tracks, especially to people you don't like and people who hate you, and then to the uttermost corners of the world. So wait and pray. So they waited and waited and waited and prayed. Then Holy Spirit came. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place where the Holy Spirit has... My Holy Spirit is here all the time. I mentioned that last week. But when he reveals himself in a powerful way, you're just not the same. Think, dramatic things happen. And that's what happened that day. They started praising God in all kinds of different languages that all the people around could identify. And there's people from all over the known world saying, you're praising my God in my language. How did you learn that? It was the Holy Spirit giving them utterance, giving them the ability to do that. And it caused such a commotion. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. People thought these people had been drinking, not just an all-nighter. They were going into an all-day thing. They mocked them because they were drunk. They said, we're not drunk. We're full of God, God's Spirit. And Peter stands up and he gives this amazing on-the-spot sermon and 3,000 people, they go from 120 to over 3,000 people just said, okay, we're, we're in on this Jesus thing. Just sh- show us how to do it. What do we do next? So right then, the church was born in the middle of a, a prayer meeting that turned into an explosion, a spiritual explosion, a good explosion. And then after that, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is kind of a big public area where they could, kind of like an area like this, where they could teach in large groups. And they broke bread, where? In their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it was pretty amazing what was going on in those days. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. They were just spontaneously generous. God had transformed them so much, they just started sharing naturally. There wasn't, this is mine and that's yours and mine. There was, in the Christian life, there's no room for I, me, and myself. My favorite three persons. That's a, maybe that's your personal trinity. Me, myself, and I. That's kind of a lonely trinity. There's no room for that. So they naturally just shared what they had. And they devoted themselves to what the apostles, what the disciples were teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, not just chit-chat after church over coffee, analyzing the latest uh, sports debacle in Winnipeg or politics or anything like that. They, they shared their hearts. They shared their lives. That's what fellowship means. They broke bread together. They, they, there was community. They didn't, that's not just referring to communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, but when they broke bread, they hung out together, they ate together, they shared everything together, and they devoted themselves to pray. 
And everyone was filled with, with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, who wouldn't want to be part of a group like that? Does anybody not want to be part of something like that? Maybe you've got something better to do with your time. I mean, that was amazing. So that's what the early church looked like. Now, as we go back to look at this a little more closely, I want to ask you a question. All the stuff that was happening here in these three verses, what, where did it happen? Where did it happen? Where was it happening? In their homes? Yeah, that was one location. Where was another location? In the temple courts. Okay. I want you to listen carefully to this because um, as I was talking about the message and the the title of the message um, where everybody knows your name and my friend this morning, he really challenged me and I love it, by the way. I love it when people say, why did you do this? It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't hostile. I don't respond well to hostility. I try to. I try to, okay? And I try to, I won't bite back. But it was such a good question. Rick, why did you put that up? It's not true where everybody knows your name. Because we have about, uh, about 150 adults here. You're, you all look like adults and you're currently acting like adults. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Give us all the benefit of the doubt and say we're all adults. Except for those people under three feet, like over there. Okay. Now, how many names could you identify in this group? Okay, don't, don't press me and ask me because you know what I'm like with names. But I work hard at it, right? I keep working and I, I don't know if I irritate or frustrate you, but I'll, I'll, I will. I'll ask you about three weeks in a row and eventually I might get it. And it's not because I like antagonizing you. It's just I really would like to know your name. But we only can have so many connections in life, and that doesn't mean I only care for a small group of people in the church because I'm a pastor, and part of my job is to, well, really my job description according to the Bible is to equip the saints to do what God tells them to do. And that's the role of elders and leaders is to equip the saints to to love each other and serve each other and serve the world, right? So logistically, it's really a challenge for all of us to know everybody else's name. But let's take a hint. Let's take a look in the book of Acts. They met in the temple courts in a big group, and they met in homes. Now, how many people safely could you fit into your house, especially for for dinner? How many how many people could you fit? Eight? Okay. Anybody else? What's, what's a, a decent-sized gathering in your home for a meal? I'm sorry? Ten? Okay. Do I hear twelve? I feel like an auctioneer. No. But, okay, who can top that? And I know that there are some family gatherings that are big. My, my mom... Loves one of her love languages. We've discovered she's never articulated this, but we discover this. She likes everybody getting together in a big meal. 
But the problem is there's so many of us, you can't really have a good conversation with just one or two people. It's got to be this big. And, and whenever we call on holidays, there's about 15 people on the speakerphone and one or two of us. So it's a little bit daunting, you know. So what I'm trying to say is it's hard to have more intimate, closer relationships in a big group. Now, one of the challenges in North America, the way we design, one of the challenges in our architecture is the way we do our furniture here, right? Because, Jason, you've got a great view of about the back of about 20 people's heads from where you're sitting, right? Right? Good. Um, Everybody's hair looks good? Okay. Okay. Except for Tom, but that's okay. That's that's Tom. Okay, no, just just I only pick on people that I think trust me. So, or used to trust me. Anyway, but that's one of our challenges, right? Now, it's a very efficient way of of seating people. Actually, do you know that theater seats are more efficient than pews? Because when you sit in pews, you get three or four people in a pew. It feels eh, that's full enough. But if you have theater seats, I'm not advocating we sell the pews. I'm just saying, just for those trivia buffs, that actually the more, because you know where the seat is and, and it's not filled. But it's more efficient to line people up, especially when we do a one-way kind of a talk like this. It's more efficient, right? But there are other ways of doing church. On Manitoulin Island in Ontario, there is a church on an indigenous reserve there that's built literally in the round, kind of like a spinoff in the old council fire, which is kind of cool because the altar's in the middle, center of focus, and then people are sitting in a circle and they can see each other, which is kind of a neat way of worship. When I passed the previous church, I passed it at Westwood Community Church, They were quite patient with me. And by the way, if you ever talk to them, you remind them that I thought they're the best group of Mennonites in Winnipeg, which is saying a lot, but it's true. Um, But one summer, there were some renovations going on in the sanctuary, so we had to meet in the gymnasium, kind of like our NPR, and we met around round tables. Now, I love round tables because you can talk around the tables. We're going to do lunch around round tables, and I can hardly wait, not just for the lunch, but for the conversations around the tables. So that particular summer, I said, hey, don't worry, we'll have church in the gymnasium around tables. And people were like, really? I mean, some people really embraced it. I had one young guy saying every Sunday, are we going to do church like that again? I can hardly wait. And I had people going, ugh. Maybe they were more polite. They're kind of stoic, and they just suffered through it. It's like, sooner or later, we're going to get back to normal, whatever normal is. But some people loved it. And do you know what was fascinating about that? Because I would get people talking to each other during the service on purpose, not just, how long is this going to last? But but interacting and, and learning from each other. And it was brilliant because I liked that kind of thing in case you haven't noticed. And we discovered someone who'd been coming to church for two years, but nobody knew their name. Nobody knew who they were. But they were exposed in a good way. <laughs> we, we found their name. This couple, 
and they got more involved in the church. Now they're really connected and all because we just had the opportunity. Now I understand sometimes when folks come to church, they just prefer to slip in the back and just be there. I respect that because I've been there myself. And that's why if you're visiting, (laughs) the church I grew up in, anybody you're visiting, they make you stand up and say your name and give you a big right hand of fellowship welcome. And now you feel like, you don't do that. that, People feel exposed and under the spotlight. But so the cultures change. And there is a place for just slipping in quietly in the back and just, you know, trying to connect with God. But it would be a shame not to take advantage to connect with people because God is into relationships. Think about that. We've talked a little bit about the Trinity. Here's some really good practical theology. God is um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God. So God is one, but God is three. And say, Rick, that's really bad math. Yeah, but we're not talking about regular math here. (laughs) It's kind of one times one times one equals one, but there's three persons in what we call the Godhead. Uh, I I don't want to confuse the issue, but just let me tell you that when God created the earth, in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image. And God hovered over the waters. God is, God is into relationships. That's the importance of the Trinity for us. God is a relational being. And God lives in our relationships with each other. And that's why in North America, we've emphasized, I think, the large group gathering to the detriment of the smaller group gathering. And that's why people typically think of church as a Sunday morning activity. That's traditionally the time they do a gathering like this. And that's good. There's value in this. Let me ask you a quick question. This, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, this is an interactive service, okay? So I'm inviting you to talk back. This is like a large, small group today. Sounds a little bit weird. But just imagine you're sitting in my living room or I'm sitting in your living room and we're having conversations today. We're not really set up for that, but work with me, okay? You're such a flexible, lovely group. What are some of the things that you can do? What are the advantages of a large group gathering of Christians? What can you do in a bigger group like 150 that we can't do in a group of 10. Get to know one another. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Anna. Get to know one another. It's, it's challenging. 150 names? Wow. You know, which reminds me, Rachel? Is Rachel here? Oh, she went downstairs. We've got to get name tags for lunch, Okay. Name tags are for the benefit of the pastor and actually your benefit too. I don't mind taking the fall for needing name tags, okay? But I know the rest of us like them too. They're not meant to be impersonal, but just say, 
okay. Yeah, so it's really hard to get to know 150 people, but you can, 10, that's manageable, right? Especially have some connections. What else can you do? In a, in a, what, what's a, what's the large group gathering? What's one of its strengths? What's the good thing about being here Sunday morning? You obviously think there's value because you're here. For whatever reason, that's great. There is strength in numbers. You're right. And you don't feel so alone. You're thinking, maybe I'm not as crazy as I think. Or all these other people are crazy too. Worshiping God and that, you know, going against the flow of popular culture. There is strength in numbers. It's encouraging. Yep, it is. What else? What, what's the, one of the good things about gathering together like this on a Sunday morning? Learning. Yeah, learning. And learning from each other and hopefully thinking, okay, how is this going to make a difference from Monday to Saturday? Yeah. What else? Praising God. There's something about that, isn't there? Like, God dwells in the praises of his people. I mean, I think God dwells everywhere, but he's especially, that, what that means is that he's especially present when we get together, gather together and say, okay, I'm going to lift my focus from myself, making life all about me, myself, and I, and I'm going to lift it up to God and say, God, you're awesome. Or God, this is a really hard circumstance, but I surrender to you anyway. That's really good. And that's the beauty of strength in numbers. And unless you have a pipe organ in your house, you know, it's really hard to do this, right? Or maybe you've got, maybe you live in a house that's big enough for a house concert. We'd have to knock at a few walls in our house to pull that off. But there's something about that large group gathering, strength in numbers. Anything else? Okay. What are the advantages of a smaller group? What are some things that a smaller group can do? A group of, say, 10. What can they do that a group of 150 can't do as well? More time to interact. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you, Anna. Bearing one another's burdens. There are a lot of verses, and Doug, by the way, could probably list them off for me because he's always reminding me of the one another verses in the New Testament. Love one another. Be patient to one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. All these one another, one another, one another things in the New Testament. In the New Testament, they did not have church buildings. (gasps) Shocking. I don't mean to destroy your faith, but they didn't have church buildings when the New Testament was built, when it was written. Now, church buildings are great. They're awesome. I love this building. It's really useful, especially on Saturday. We got so much use out of this building. A um, hundred and some ladies at the ladies' breakfast, catered by very handsome men, um, most of them anyway. And uh, then 
we hosted a community group who met in the NPR, and they had a party for neighborhood kids, about 200 kids, and we gave out 1,000 cups of hot chocolate on the front steps, all because we have this real estate. And I think, and then we're here today and having lunch, I think the coolest thing that will likely happen this weekend in this building is tonight at Soak at 7.30, where people come in here and just quietly read and pray and listen to God. And there's something really neat about being here in an evening with the stained glass and the lights and worship. It just really helps you connect with God. So church buildings are really useful. Sometimes in North American church history, we've gotten so wrapped up in serving the building that we've forgotten about the people. And so what I'm trying to do is just overcorrect a little bit and saying, let's talk about people. Let's talk about relationships because that's what God is into. A healthy New Testament church is like an airplane that's got two wings. Okay? There's the large group gathering and the small group gathering. What happens if you're missing a wing? Well, sooner or later, you're going to meet Jesus. It's not going to end well, okay? It's not going to end well. So a healthy New Testament church has got two wings. That's what Acts 20.20 talks about. It's an easy memory verse to remember, Acts 20.20, because if you've got 20.20 vision, you're bang on. Not too nearsighted, not too farsighted. It's really good. And this is the Apostle Paul saying to a group of church elders from the church in Ephesus. He spent three years getting that church going, and here's how he spent his time. You know, I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, big group, and from house to house, small group. So Paul, when he was starting churches, they had both these elements in mind. Big church. Small church, big church, house church. It's really, really valuable. Now, you might think I'm beating this on the head a little bit, and you're right. Because what we need, especially in our society, with social media, with friends who aren't really friends, and friends we've never really met before, and imaginary cyber friends who turn on us as soon as they disagree with our politics or faith or whatever, let's not real friends, but we need friends. We need people with skin on. We need people like us um, to encourage each other so we can practice these one another verses on each other. So how do we do that? We talked about this, um, sorry, there it is. We talked about the title of this. The, uh, Cheers was an old TV series from 1982 to 1991. I don't remember that. I just looked it up. And it was based in a bar. And all these uh, characters who hung out, their bar was their home. But the tagline on the theme song of uh, the main idea behind the theme song was like, isn't it great to where everybody knows your name. Everybody needs to be known. It's a great to have a place where people know your name, they give you value, you have an identity, your home. That's the idea behind, I think, God's intention for church. Not a bar, 
incidentally, probably if you hang out in the bar so much that everybody knows your name, that might be indicative of other issues in your life. But that's not this, not this kind of sermon. But what I'm trying to get across here is that everybody can know your name in a smaller group. Maybe not 150, but that's where you find community. That's where we build community. So I want to encourage you today. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. We've talked about some of the benefits of a large gathering and a small gathering. Um, you know, earlier this fall, I sent out kind of a, some inventory, some questionnaires about do you want to be part of a house church? And we had a, a good response, and some people are already connected in some kind of a small group somewhere. That's great. Whatever it is, that's great. Work at it and build it better. But other folks aren't. But what I've realized is that I've maybe overpromised and underdelivered because we didn't have enough hosts and people who are ready to facilitate a discussion. So I want to encourage folks, if they just to pray about, could they host a gathering at their place? And it doesn't mean have to host it every week. Probably once your group gets started, you can do it every third week or something like that. Like Luann and I are hosting a group right now, and we can't be available for the next couple of Thursdays. So someone else is going to do it, and the world's not going to stop spinning, and someone else will facilitate the group. Things will be fine. And actually, they'll probably be better without the pastor doing it. So it's a win. So I want to encourage folks to to pray about just if you're interested in this and if you think you have the capacity to to host a few people at your place or to help lead a group, to help facilitate it. There's all kind of coaching available. We will not leave you as orphans. We'll help you. I want to encourage you to take one of these response cards in front uh, of you in the pew and just write it down and say, Rick, talk to me about this. Okay. And you can put it on the table on the way out. There's that big black box for the response cards. Put it in there. I can't get any more concrete than that. If God is got, giving you a curiosity, or Rick, tell me about a house church. Where can I join? What do I start? What, what do I do? There are a number of young families here that are sort of mulling over, what do we do with kids? That's an excellent question. Some of our best memories from church as a young family is from small groups, house churches where kids were an integral part of that. Not just tolerated, but kids were welcomed and honored and there's a way of doing that. And in fact, uh, there are, our children have very positive memories of safe adults investing in them. And they learned about community through the church. Go figure. Go figure. They learned about that. And to me, I mean, if you're a parent of children, you know, if if people love and respect your kids, that's probably your love language. The biggest the biggest way that you feel valued is if people recognize and invest safely and positively in the lives of your children. You go, okay. I don't have to love them just because you're my, they're my kids. You love them too. So uh, this, is, this is wonderful. And, and, and children contribute so much to the life of a house church. 
They're unfiltered, for better or for worse. But it's beautiful, right? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we did the Red Sea enactment here in church? Do you remember that? I'll never forget that. Little Sam pipes up, Pastor Rick, this story's in my Bible too. And then Ezra, who's four, says, yeah, it's in my Bible. Well, I guess it must be true then. Sam and Ezra just concur that this is a Bible story. That's beautiful. So things like that will happen. So if you're still praying about um, a house church with, that's kid-friendly, fill out that form. We're going to pray until, until God helps us figure out how to do that. But I want to encourage you folks, all of us, that God wants us to build community together. Large group, small group. So fill out those forms and, and pray about it. And let's, let's see what God will do with us. I want to close the service today, but we talk about the three-minute rule here at Elam, okay? Three minutes after the service, talk to someone that you don't know or don't know well. Today, we have a special edition of the three-minute rule. It's the 33-minute rule. So over lunch, while you're lining up patiently for lunch and get talking to people, I want to encourage you to do the Quaker questions with somebody. Do you remember the Quaker questions? I started you doing them one Sunday morning and I almost lost control of the group because I had a large group acting like a small group, people getting to know each other. Oh, this isn't church. I had to rein you back in. No, it was beautiful. So remember... The three questions, where did you grow up? Where was the source of warmth in your home? Now, that could mean emotional warmth or physical warmth or whatever. Where was the place of warmth in your home? And then the third one, when did God become more than just a word to you? Okay? Those are kind of open-ended questions, but they start off non-threatening and kind of build from there. And maybe you get stuck on number two. That's okay. I want to encourage you to do that because um, we're going to move into that as soon as we finish singing. Actually, Ashley, your team can come up. So here's your assignment. If you're praying about house group and how to be involved, fill out one of those white cards, okay, in the pew in front of you. Stick it in the black box and give it to me. And pray about that. Let's ask God to to help us solve this challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing to have be in a smaller group and have those relationships that we desperately need, especially in a society like ours. It's really valuable. It takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. And we get a chance for us to see what God can do in our midst. So let's uh, commit ourselves to God this song that we're, I asked um, Ashley to close with, Blessed Be Your Name, has got... Well, let me tell you about an experience I had with this song briefly. Um, when we first moved to Winnipeg, my wife Luann was going through a really strange, long-term, debilitating illness, and we still don't know what it was. It was really tough. She spent a lot of time on the couch just struggling through work and parenting, and it was really, really grim time. And I remember being at a conference one time, singing this song, Blessed Be Your Name, and 
a guy, a young guy I worked with and kind of mentored. He's actually taken over my position now in university. He came up and all he did, he just stood beside me, put his arm around me, and we sang this song together. That's all he did. That was something that, that meant, that gesture meant so much to me. Just someone standing with me. And that's what we need. That's kind of an example of a small church thing happening in a large church gathering. You know what I'm saying? That was one of those one another things. Love one another, support one another. And that's why I wanted us to, to sing this song because there are, there are times in life when we'll go through highs and lows and joyful things and very difficult things and we need to walk together through that. And one of the challenges with our structure here at Elam is that we really work hard in the big church gatherings and that's appropriate. But what I'm trying to do is work on the other wing right now and grow that other wing of, of smaller group gatherings so we can support each other and experience that in a different context. And that's biblical too.